Hi, friends. I talk a lot about systems thinking on this podcast and thought I'd share one of the most potent actions you can take if you feel moved to be a different kind of leader for the 21st century. At Small Giants Academy, we developed our answer to the traditional MBA. We call it the MBE, a mastery of business and empathy. The MBE is a truly groundbreaking program which equips leaders with the tools, strategies, networks and philosophies to lead with purpose in these troubled times. Applications are open now for 2025. So head to smallgiants.com.au forward slash MBE to learn more and sign up. Let's have our check-in. Shall we have our check-in? Yeah, let's have our check-in. You, yeah, tell me. Let's check in. How are you travelling? Oh, check-in. Well, you know, every week is a big week at the moment and, and every week to think back to a week ago, it seems mm. like months. It's like I go through a lifetime every week and, and I've had a, a, a very big week of family. So my son who's... Uh, 29 and my stepsons who are 28 and 20 uh, and 16 sorry we spent uh, three days up on my land together and and did a men's weekend and had some really big deep conversations and um, sat by fires at night and cooked in the fire and that was very special and actually very healing and one of the things I realized for example with my stepsons is that I need a relationship with them without their mother, as well as with their mother, but a lot of the relationship I have with them is their mother's in the room and filtering it and impacting on it and everything, and, you know, which is fine, but I also need that time just with them. And it comes back to this thing of one-on-one time, how important and valuable that is, and I just need that time with my son for him to just be able to say things that he needs to say, and even if they can be hard to hear and painful and my impulse is to react and to deny it and turn it around that I just have to listen so that's been big and then the other big thing that's come up for me is that as of yesterday uh, some of the schools in New South Wales are going to be going back in two weeks time so my partner and her sons will head off back next week and I'm like what it's over this time is over and 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 that's really thrown me into a bit of shock you know it's actually been a very special time hard but very special and and I feel like I'm just really settling into it and now it's it's you know going to be over and things are starting to open up and shops are opening up and people are associating and part of me is going no you know I'm actually there's a lot in it so, yeah, there's an awful lot happening. And, and to be honest, I didn't sleep much last night. Mm. Um, so that's my check-in. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm just reflecting on the stage we're in in the podcast actually and and the next podcast about reintegration and, and sort of holding all these transitions. Um, my check-in is... Yesterday was not a good one. 
<laughs> I well, that's not entirely true. Yesterday was awesome. We're holding these amazing Monday conversations with the Dumbo Feather community, and we spoke with this amazing woman called Claire Dunn, who does rewilding. She writes about rewilding. She does workshops. She lived in the bush for a year on her own doing rewilding skills, and she's rad. Um, and after that session, I just crashed and I crashed so big and I haven't this whole time. And I crawled into bed and I didn't come out till this morning. Um, lucky for me, I've got a hubby who could sort of hold up the world while I crashed. And it really was like the end of the world is nigh. So I just had to surrender to that cup of tea in bed watching rom-coms and <laughs> I just went to bed early and the beautiful thing is waking up with the sunrise I set my alarm to wake up with the sunrise because this Claire Dunn was talking really a lot about the things you talk about lighting a fire in the morning wake up with the sunrise set your rhythm with nature and every day is an opportunity for a reset so today I went at sunrise down to the beach with the dog and we went for a really long walk and I was reminded that the world, that the earth is holding us up, you know. Um, and I needed that. I needed to be in awe of nature and remember that it's not me that's actually holding anything up. I feel, I feel like the energy in the world and with a lot of people is they're over this lockdown. They're over the isolation and the separation phase. Um, as much as everyone's feeling what you're feeling as well, they don't want it to go and they don't want to go back to life as it was before COVID and how do we keep all that beautiful stuff. So I'm feeling those feelings too. Um, but overall sort of woke up with an immense feeling of gratitude. That's me. Thank you. So launching straight in, mm. my suspicion is that there will be a whole big variety of thoughts and feelings from people with everything that's going on and, and, and big range of experiences for people. But um, if, if we recap on what we've talked about with this idea of um, it being a rite of passage and we talked about separation and we're separated from our normal lives and we're in this container where the transformation happens. And last week you and I talked about how story is so important, the sharing of stories for building of communities and passing on wisdom and knowledge. And Which, that. by the way, I have yes. to tell you, it happened kind of by design but not really and I just smiled to myself at the miracle of it. I went for a walk with my folks and we've been distancing but we're all down um, this way in the country so we're going on these long bush walks and I took Willow with me and she was kind of grumpy with me at the time so she walked with my mum at the back and my mum was just sharing stories with her of her childhood and Willow was loving every second of it for an hour they just shared stories and it was gold I felt the magic of it because I understood how important it is it is the best thing ever grandparents sharing their stories with their grandchildren it, the, it, it, and it is so much better than just the fact that the stories are being shared. You know, it gives your daughter Willow the opportunity to actually learn and get in touch with 
a story that is both her story because she's part of it, she's a mm. result of it, mm. but it happened way before she was born. So it ties Willow into this concept that she's actually part of a lineage rather than it being just her. And she's part of a story that started way before she was born mm. and will go on way after she's not here anymore. And that is such a powerful thing mm. for any individual, let alone child, to actually learn. Um, so, yeah, I love, I love hearing that. I love hearing that. Yeah. Yeah. And we also talked about how there's a challenge and an ordeal in it for everyone and, and those challenges will be different for every single person and, and that, in fact, for many people the challenge may only just be beginning and for some people the challenge, you know, will actually come down the track. Um, but then there are two other elements that are within a rite of passage and um, it, it's, it's especially relevant now that we're seeing all over the news that countries are starting to relax the social distancing and the social isolation laws and, you know, schools are starting to open and people are allowed to go back and visit other families and, you know, progressively uh, we can, we, it's like we're, we've passed the peak of the major level of isolation. And, and so naturally within that, uh, as we, as we sort of start to relax things down, people are going to be looking at, oh, well, this will be over soon. And, and you can feel it everywhere. People are starting to move. People are starting to do things. And so the most important thing that has to happen now is getting real clarity on our vision for the future. And a vision is absolutely a critical element of any rite of passage. And this is the time to be creating the vision. Because the danger is that if we don't, we come out the other end and all of a sudden, you know, we've been back at work a week or we're doing stuff that we used to do and it's like, oh, look, nothing's changed, you know. And, and we have all been given a gift. We've all been given, um, there's a beautiful expression in Portuguese, um presente de Deus, a present from God. And a present from God is a random element and a random thing that just happens. You can't hold on to it. You can't make it happen. It just sort of comes into your life and it lasts as long as it lasts. And this, this lockdown that we've been in when we've had to stay home, be with our families, cook at home, get into our gardens, talk to our neighbours or whatever it is, is, is a form of and, and it will be over. And the greatest tragedy will be if we don't learn and change as a result. And part of that learning and changing and transforming will come just from the things that have happened, but a huge part will come from our consciousness and our intention. And this really is the time to be creating space and thinking, okay, what have I learned during this period? What has been in my face? What's been presented to me? How am I going to make sure that when, when we leave and go back, and not back to normal, but when we go back to next stage of life, how do I want to be? What am I going to bring to the world? What, what parts of my behaviour and my personality and my psyche and my genius and my spirit am I going to 
bring out and what parts am I going to go, okay, thanks for journeying with me, but your time, you know, your time is kind of up and I'd like you to move more into the background. And the really important point that I want to make here is that um, our gifts, our talents, our, our, let's call it our spirit. And by the way, the work I'm talking about, you don't have to be spiritual to be into this work. You can say that everybody has their strengths. And we know that when we work to people's strengths, they do better. And, and we can say that every person has a spirit. And, and when a person's spirit comes out, they shine. So whichever way you want to look at it is completely legitimate. It is not for me to sit here and tell people I have to either be spiritual or non-spiritual. Mm. Um, and the thing is that at each stage of life, at each step on this staircase that I talk about, how your gifts come out will be different. How your spirit shows itself will be and should be different. So how your gift, your spirit express when you're a child will be different to when you're a teenager, will be different to when you're a, grand, uh, a grown-up, a grandparent, an elder. And so if this rite of passage is marking a transition from one stage in life to the next, that would indicate that our gifts and how our gifts and our spirit come out in the world actually is supposed to be different to how it was before. If I give an example of that, um, and if I give an example of who better than you, Gary <gasps> Lieberman, sitting oh my God. right in front of me, <laughs> you know, and, and I was actually saying to someone the other day, I was talking about this podcast, and I was saying, you know, Barry, she is such a beautiful interviewer. She is such a joy and pleasure and stimulation to spend time talking to. And, and it, it has been an absolute pleasure doing this mini-series with you. But that aside, what that actually shows is that absolutely one of your gifts is to bring out the stories. And not only to bring out the stories, but to bring out the stories and to, to connect and relate them to the major issues in the world the ones that need to be addressed, the ones that need to be spoken to, which would also indicate that you have another gift around, you know, uh, identifying and relating to and feeling empathy and concern for the major issues of the world. And to be able to combine those two things is an absolute gift. And the, the thing that I would then say to you is, okay, so however you were doing it, three months ago or two mm. months ago, mm. what is your best way to use those gifts now on the other side of this quarantine? And, and I dare say it won't be exactly the same as how you were doing it before we all went in. So yeah. it's about, okay, so what's your vision, Barry? I would ask you. What's your vision? How do you want to be? And it may still well be two or three months away, but how are we going to bring your gifts, your genius and your spirit out in a, you know, more, more evolved, mature or just next level, next stage um, scenario? What I love about this whole conversation, first of all, thanks. That's very nice, everything you said. You're very good at honouring. <laughs> <laughs> And you're right, it is my jam to really synthesise story and listen for 
sort of maps for where we're going because that's how my brain works and my heart and and I'm just so curious about it. I know something's trying to emerge through us and I know many different things are trying to emerge through us and that I feel we have this moment in time to capture the new story as it's living in us. They did this poll in the UK, I think through The Guardian, but don't quote me. Um, you can Google it. And that was around what people wanted on the other side of COVID in the UK. And 91% of people did not want to return to life before COVID. 91%. Only 9% of Britons wanted to return to life before COVID. And And then the the next question is, do they know what they, they know what they don't want to return to, but do they know what they do want to return to? So this is where it gets really interesting. This is why this part of the podcast is fascinating to me. It's like, how do you personally claim what you just said? Like, how is Barry different now? And how's my vision for my own personal future different? And then the part that gets me more excited, um, because I'm always iterating that. I'm always, like, thinking about that. And when you've got growing children, you are always forced into change, into having to adapt and be different for them and with them in the world. But how do we collectively claim the world we want to emerge into? And I think we do have that choice right now. And in the poll, people were saying the things they know they don't want to do are get back on the treadmill of that rat race and the service to the machine of capitalism and consumerism and the things that don't make life worth living. The things people want is this time, this sense of expansive time, slower time, being in touch with their nervous systems, connected to their families, connected to their neighbours and connected to their food and a sense of themselves in the world that's different to anything any of us have ever known. And so I think we can look at the things we don't want and reverse them to sort of see a map for the things that we do want. Now the question is, how do we claim that collectively? Well, the collective bit is always interesting because there's always this argument around, do we do things collectively or do we do things individually and is it one or the other? And I actually think it's both. And it does get tricky because part of a rite of passage is there's a collective uh, uh, vision that's created and that is supported by elders and, you know, it should be a facilitated process. And and even something like the Guardian poll where that's a form of leadership where the Guardian takes on and actually questions the people and asks them what they want and publishes it. So... Mm. Yeah, there are some processes, but the other thing is we will collectively do better if every individual is actually bringing out their gifts and their genius and their spirit. Because what is a gift? If you have a gift, Barry, first of all, a gift is a pleasurable, beautiful thing, but the the definition of a gift is it's only a gift if you give it away. Hmm. I, it's not. If I'm holding something, it's not a gift until I give it away. So the role of the individual is to give their gifts to the community. 
the role of the spirit in a person is to come out and show itself within the community. And, yes, we do have to find ways to collectively create a vision and to individually create our vision. So so how would, sorry to interject, how would traditionally the community hold collective visioning? Well, um, the uh, ooh, it's a good question. I, I think that traditionally the collective vision of a community was probably already predetermined by the culture. Mm. And the culture was to continue to have family, to have enough food, you know, maybe it was a warring community, but there was a cultural already definition. I'll name something. A challenge for me in this is around how do we create thought leadership? How do we actually, you know, who's going to step up in this time? Who's going to actually do this work of bringing people to this place exactly as you're questioning. I feel... It is, by the way, people like you and your work through Dumbo Feather, and I don't think it's any one person. No. But it is a a very legitimate question. We were talking yesterday in the Dumbo Feather community gathering. So we hold these Zoom lunchtime meetings with wisdom keepers and the whole community are on. So there was a hundred and... 110, 120 people on the call yesterday. Um, There were 180 or 60 last week. It's beautiful. People stay for an hour together. We have a sandwich and listen to a wisdom keeper. Nathan and I interview them. And it is a real community. And it is a lot of people wanting to lean into deep and rich questions and belong to each other. So how do we do the fourth bit? Let's maybe move into the fourth bit and we'll understand a bit more about this third piece. How do we honour the gifts? So many people, that's such a moving part of a rite of passage and I can imagine it would be the most transformative. So, so it's a combination of people recognising it in themselves and then the community recognising it in the individuals. And when you get both of those things happening, it actually brings it to life. So you might have someone running around going, thinking to themselves, you know, I I know that I, um, you know, could do a certain thing well and it's what I love doing. But that person, you know, may not have the confidence or, or, or whatever. When that person is seen by someone, which may well be, by the way, a grandparent, coming back mm. to my earlier conversation or maybe a partner, maybe people that they work with, and those, that person or those people say to this, per, you know, say to them, hey, I actually see this in you. You do have it. That is something that you could bring. Then that actually transforms and brings to life, you know, a gift that, that, that can then come out and support the whole community. And, and it is this challenging thing that we talked about earlier that it has to be a combination of the community and the individual vision will be served by bringing out the gifts of the individuals and the community. So I'm just going to name that this is hard to do. 
because I feel like so the first thing, the first part is you taught me great language around this, which is you can look someone that you care about in the eyes and you can take a deep breath and you can say, I would like to honour this thing about you. Yeah. And you really hold in your heart whatever it is about that person that you want to bring to life. And that is an honouring. You really see something in that person and then you name it for them, and then you hold that space. Don't laugh it off. You don't shrug it off or get uncomfortable because I think in our culture we're very quick to say, you look nice. It's very superficial. We're we're quick to acknowledge something about or not even. People don't necessarily give a lot of compliments out, but it is a gift to really acknowledge something deep about someone else and to let them have that experience of being recognized and seen that is an honoring and it is medicine and we can do it for our friends cousins parents children doing it around the kitchen table at night after dinner it's quite special and it's profound and so you taught me that. You taught me just that language around it and that it, we can just use it. That's gift. We can just do that tomorrow and that it's hard for us culturally. We get squirmish around doing that. Yeah. People want to run away. Yeah. But, look, maybe, you know, and this is where, you know, what you're leading with is, you know, we just have to go back to basics and relearn this fundamental skill of seeing and naming the gifts, the genius, the spirit that we see in others. And it is something that I've been working with for 25 years, teaching people how to honour other people. And every camp, every program that we do, we do an honouring, especially of the children, you know, and we find that for children it's such a powerful thing because so many of them don't recognise or don't value the gifts that they have. It ends beyond children to adults. The child in the adult that never got honoured and recognised, that spends the rest of its life wounded, looking for acknowledgement and will do so in unhealthy ways in order to get that acknowledgement. So it is actually a cultural thing that we need to bring back in of genuinely recognising and honouring the gifts, talents, genius and spirit of everyone. I love that, Anna. It's so beautiful. And I think that one of the things that coalesces with this idea of creating a vision for the future is our woundedness is so apparent to us collectively right now. The systems that we've designed to really not hold the honouring but to persist in the wounded part of us, to to insist on the wounded part of us. And maybe we can apply this honouring to our collective. We can really acknowledge the things that we've done well during this time and the things that we can do well together. It seems to be incremental. It's not like we're going to come up with a big advertisable vision for the future but it's in really holding and acknowledging what is healthy and whole about us that we can get to where we want to go yeah and and let's just come back to this point that you touched on that's so important which is the wounding 
And when an individual or a community is wounded, that is when that individual community will act in inappropriate and unhealthy ways. Mm. So, you know, someone who doesn't feel safe will act defensively and, and potentially, you know, aggressively or angrily or all these sorts of things. And when a culture is wounded, you know, it will look after itself and, and be self-centred rather than um, focused on growing and, and supporting each other. And so the we, we need to be healing the wounding of both individuals and the community. And, you know, that's a big job. Yeah. Big task. But we do have an opportunity at the moment with what's happening to really be making an impact on that. And that comes down to, you know, education, advocacy, by example, um, you know, really teaching and showing people that we can be honouring and recognising each other and recognising our communities, as you say, and what we've done actually done well. And the stuff that's hard, you know, that that's okay, that we've all been grieving a lot and that we've all been frustrated and anxious and that that's all part of it too, but we don't need to make trauma our organising principle. We can actually have different organising principles going forward and they can be from strength and love and courage. Definitely. And this is where, you know, once again, if we drop back one stage in the rite of passage, the challenges can actually end up as traumatic events, Mm. which are associated with wounding, or they can end up as resilience-building learning opportunities. So as when you're leading the camps and the rite of passage workshops with fathers and sons, are you do you frame how that vision for the future needs to be? Do you always make sure it's positive and generative and coming from a particular place? Like how do you set the framing? Well, we don't tell people what their vision has to be. But if I'm running a camp, let's say it's a father-son camp or any camp, and let's say we've got a week, we will spend the first few days sharing stories and really building a, a community and making sure that, the the, um, the young ones, if it's father, son, that the boys will not only hear the stories of their fathers but hear the stories of other fathers and hear the stories of each other. So we build a really strong community. And then we will create some challenges and the boys don't get to choose their challenges. They don't get to choose when they happen. They don't get to choose how long they go or how hard they are. They're just in them. But within it is, is uh, also a thing of you know what's your personal challenge how does this challenge relate to you mm. and what are the things in your life that you know you need to let go of if you're going to become the best person you can be and and so we we really use the challenges in a as a growth model and certainly not as a traumatic event and then we create a space where we can all create our vision for the future not just the boys or the fathers but every single person on our program and, and, and we may do it as a guided meditation. We may sit around the fire and just say, okay, let's imagine it's, you know, seven years from now and things are going really well and we're living how we want to live and with the people we want to be with and doing what we want to do. 
you know, and and, and there, thereby let's create a vision for the future and let's share that vision with others around us. Um, and, and then we will actually, you know, we will, the, the share, the recognition and the sharing of the vision, you know, actually makes it more likely to happen. You know, Barry, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you, you, you had your beautiful rest and your sleep last night and you woke up this morning and you felt gratitude and regenerated and everything. You know, imagine, Barry, that you'd woken up this morning and somehow it was, you know, three years from now. Mm. Unbelievably, miraculously, you woke up for three years from now and those things that you had gratitude for and, and, you know, had really grown and expanded. And imagine if, you know, the work that you're doing had really taken root. What would the world look like? What would be happening for you in three years' time if, if, if that was the case? Mm. I love it. You know, we all are so stuck in this day, this day, this sunrise, this sunset, um, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week. But visioning, really taking that as a sacred exercise is beautiful and I don't do it enough because sometimes the challenges in this moment just feel like a wall in front of your heart. And to answer your question, that is the most exciting vision. I see global cooperation. I see communities strengthened by having their own energy source, their own water source, their own sort of stable food security, that there are, you know, there's universal basic income for everyone so people are able to focus more on their gifts and people are giving more of their gifts in the world. Every home in Australia has a battery um, so that they and solar on the roof. Um, you know, I see flourishing. I see abundance. I see connection. And I see hope and a rebuilding of our systems with a regenerative lens that is like an intergenerational gift. I see better soil, I mean, definitely in Australia, but globally, and that instead of an intergenerational war, we have intergenerational collaboration and wisdom sharing and an understanding that we are linked together through the arc of time. <laughs> there you go. There you go. What a beautiful vision. And, you know, I'll say something to you, and this sort of steps into that next level of gifts and recognition, that that vision that you have just described, apart from the fact that it's very beautiful, you have the gift of being able to make that vision happen not necessarily for the whole world at once but you have the ability and the gift to be able to make it happen on a level great enough that it could actually then influence many 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 other people you know i i, I don't you know i'm not sure that you in three years could just completely change the entire world but you could change enough of the world or enough of a part of the world that people from all over the world would come and see it and be influenced and it would grow from that. And, and, and if there are more people like you with that vision doing it to the best ability that they can, then it starts to actually join together. Um, a bit like, I'll tell you how I, how I see it, it's a bit like if you take a, um, uh, a paddock you know, a piece of 
land that's got doesn't have much vegetation on it and someone over here goes and plants a genuinely diverse healthy patch of forest that won't change the whole paddock necessarily but then someone over here plants some forest and someone over here plants some forest those forests then start joining up and you end up with a regenerated land and I reckon you're a forest planter, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say that just that small exercise made me cry and it feels so beautiful. It's such a relief to even lean into, like, just vision without, without um, editing the vision, yeah. like, like just, just leaning into vision for the future. What, what a thing to do. Um, yeah. And I hope everyone listening can give themselves and everyone they love permission to just do that exercise with an open heart today because we need, as you said, all of our patches of um, forest and to be regenerated because forests not only regenerate the land above but they regenerate the land the land underneath. Yes, and it's, they do. And that's really important. I think the unseen connections we don't give as much credit to, but I think they're really potent and they hold our world together. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Anna. I love you. Thanks for holding the space and for sharing your wisdom with all of us. Um, should we answer a question or two from a listener? Sure, we can do that. It's like, I feel quite emotional now. Yeah, like, we're just me. supposed to be doing a, you know, a simple <laughs> mini-series podcast here Barry and I'm like going on this major journey with you which is actually what tends to happen with me in this work is that yeah. you know it's it's real so yes happy to answer a question I just want to say to that emotional field that we've sort of shifted here is I really it would be fucking great wouldn't it yes like if we could come out of this time and hold what is precious and honour each other and live with live in harmony with the planet. Like why wouldn't we want to do that? <laughs> and love each other and take care of each other. That just feels um, necessary and practical <laughs> and... Um, yeah, maybe we don't share our visions for the future because it's painful, the gap between our longing for beauty and connection and maybe we feel that won't be met and seen. Yeah. <laughs> and we need to get past fear being the reasons not yeah. to share our visions. Yeah, good call. Because these visions need to be shared. And in my experience, when we do get past the fear, we find a lot of people have the same vision. That's when you start getting to the community vision. It's that preparedness to go past the fear, to be real and to tap in with other people. And and also it feels to me like that's where, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh was saying the next Buddha will be the will be community. Yeah. And that's 
in sharing our visions and finding that we're all connected in our visions on some like core level, there are no autocrats. There's no one hero going to save the day. It's the sum of us. And I love that idea. Love that idea. All right. Question. Do rites of passage moments just turn up as life goes by? Is it something we're able to create for ourselves, for our children? Look, first of all, absolutely we can create them and we're supposed to create them and they will turn up. So it's both. But a a classic rite of passage is done intentionally, is facilitated and is done in a ritual way. So, for example, for thousands of years, communities have created rites of passage to support their children becoming young adults, their boys becoming young men, their girls becoming young women, all of that. But so that is an absolute example of a rite of passage that is created by the community. When the community no longer creates those rites of passage, those events will just turn up and happen. And in my work, when I say to people, describe the rite of passage that um, signified and, and transformed you from being a child to an adult, 95% of people today did not have something that was created for them. And of those 95%, 95% of the 95% describe a traumatic event as being what shifted them from being a child to an adult. Mm. So a, a core of my belief system, having studied rites of passage in human behaviour the last 25 years is we will all go through rites of passage to transform us from each step and stage in life to the next. If they're facilitated and supported by healthy elders from within our community, they are really positive, regenerative, life-changing processes. And if they, are, if they happen to us or are created by our peers, then there's a great danger that they will be wounding traumatic events. Great. Okay. So consciously we need to create those containers and acknowledge them. And Which hold is them. why we have created the Rites of Passage Institute to teach people about the elements of a rite of passage and how to create them in a safe, healthy way so that they can then create them for their, for their families, for their communities, at work, for their culture. Beautiful. Okay, the second question The question is, what would you recommend as a form of holistic study or guidance for someone who is interested in facilitating this shift in consciousness? And the shift of consciousness is defined by an ecological and soul-centric way of being. Okay. So what I'm understanding the question is, is how can we learn and study how to create a healthy transformation for people and communities that is um, ecological and... Soul-centred. Soul-centred. So it means to me that means it's about the individual but it's also about for the good of the community um, on multiple levels. And, and for me, the, the key there, it comes back to rites of passage and understanding the elements and the stages of rites of passage 
um, which is what has been developed over thousands of years by Indigenous and traditional communities around the world who did not get together and have a conference to decide what a rite of passage is and how to have a make a transformational moment. What they did do was observe tens of thousands of generations of people and all work out, they all worked out independently. You have to be doing something to create the shift from each stage in life to the next. And the way you do it, the elements are always the same, even though they are done differently in different communities. But the, the, the elements, so for example, there's always the sharing of stories and the elements that we've talked about. So when people understand the elements and the stages of a rite of passage, they can then use that and make it appropriate for the community they're working with. So if I understand the elements of a rite of passage, I then know how to create a healthy rite of passage for a child moving from primary school to high school. I know how to create a healthy rite of passage for a child becoming a young adult. I know how to create one for someone graduating from university, for someone getting married, for someone becoming an elder, and, and I would do it differently in different communities. So if I was creating a rite of passage for children in Australia, it may well be different from what we created when we were in Bhutan a year ago, but the elements were the same. So for me, the most, you know, and this is what my work is about, if we can understand the elements of a rite of passage, then we can translate that into context everywhere. And, and that is actually what I've done for the last 25 years taking the elements around Australia and around the world and supported people to create their own process in their own way in their own community, not I, to do our thing, to do their thing. I would say find your mentors. Mentors are really potent and follow, follow your heart in the direction of what really lights you up and then... Yes. Go in that direction. I wouldn't worry about diplomas and bachelor's degrees and master's and whatever. That's heavy kind of commitment in, in a certain direction. Um, follow your heart and find your mentors and do what feels right. And always know that you're always in exchange. So even if there's not a monetary exchange, there is always a give and a take. And just know what that is when you enter into any kind of learning Yes, but that's very interesting because absolutely mentors are an element. They are, you know, within rites of passage you will always have mentors. Mm. And counselling is absolutely a form of rite of passage and will have in it all the elements of a rite of passage. You separate from your day-to-day -day life to go to the counsellor. You share stories, you face challenges, you create a vision for the future, you hopefully get recognised for your who you are. And then you reintegrate. So um, the, the important thing and the gift of being involved in a course, in a diploma or whatever, the important thing is that you then get the knowledge and wisdom of those who've been involved in those courses for all those years before you. Rad. I think we answered the questions. So. Um for any of you who have questions for us that, that you'd like us to answer at the end of the podcast, please send your questions to digital at dumbofeather.com. 
We are existing currently on the Dumbo Feather podcast, which you can get wherever you get your podcasts. Please pass it on. Please write a review because it really, really helps us. Um, And also, Anna, where can people find your course? Well, the best place is to come to our website, the rightsofpassageinstitute.org, rights spelled R-I-T-E-S, rightsofpassageinstitute.org. And the big course that we're working with at the moment is our Parents and Children Growing Together, which is for anyone who's got children anywhere from eight years up. Uh, And it's a course that parents and children can do, seven-part e-course at home together, uh, especially during this time. Uh, And it's a great way to have a regular system for checking in and being able to monitor the health and well-being of everyone in the family, of sharing stories. Uh, There's some fantastic stuff in there around looking at challenges that are happening, creating a vision for the future, honouring and and identifying the gifts and genius and spirit of each of our children. So we've based it on the Rite of Passage framework, but we've brought it into a, a, a lovely uh, contemporary way that people can do at home and, and uh, hopefully really enjoy doing together. Awesome. And today you are listening to part three of the Dumbo Feather and Rites of Passage Institute conversation around how COVID is a rite of passage. And we've finished the section on transformation. Our next conversation is going to be the third part of Rites of Passage, which is reintegration and I think it's going to be right on time for definitely a lot of us in Australia to be reintegrating into society as things open up there's talk of kids going back to school so it's quite timely Anna. Yes I will look forward to it Um, it's been a quite an emotional journey I have to say Barry as we've gotten sort of deeper into it and, and that's fantastic. I feel like we're going through our own, you know, rite of passage as we're discussing it. We had some tears today, which is a, always for me a good sign of the authenticity of the conversation. So thank you very much for having me on your uh, mini-series. Thanks, Anna. You're the best. Take care. I'll speak to you soon. Great. Look forward to it. Okay, buddy. Bye. Bye. Bye.